For over 40 years, there's been a controversy over the death of the 35th President of the United States. After John F. Kennedy was murdered in November of 1963, Lyndon Johnson, his successor, appointed an official investigation into the crime. The report of the Warren Commission officially found no evidence for any sort of conspiracy in the assassination. A congressional investigation 15 years later, conversely, concluded that a conspiracy was in fact probable, though it had no definite suspects. The Warren report had been clear, of course, that there were no such suspects. The crime, it said, was the solo work of a 24-year-old Marxist ex-Marine who once defected to the USSR. Lee Oswald had slipped through America's intelligence networks upon returning home, and while the CIA and FBI were aware of him, they had not monitored him closely. In 1991, director Oliver Stone revisited the case with JFK, a film centering on Jim Garrison's ill-fated investigation in the 60s. Stone took the view that a conspiracy was overwhelmingly likely, and his controversial film ignited a firestorm of criticism at the government's investigations when it revealed in the closing credits that a large number of documents related to the case remained under lock and key. An unusual review board was set up in the wake of public indignation to examine and declassify such documents that did not have compelling national security reasons to remain secret. Interesting documents indeed surfaced soon enough and Washington Post reporter Jefferson Morley decided to investigate where they might lead. And make no mistake about it, they did lead in interesting directions. Jefferson Morley's articles have appeared in the New York Review of Books, Reader's Digest, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Monthly, and Miami New Times, in addition to the Post. He's also written a book, Our Man in Mexico, Winston Scott, and the Hidden History of the CIA, which reviewed the work of America's spy chief in Mexico City. Wynne Scott, it turns out, had been there when Lee Oswald came to contact the Cuban and Soviet embassies just months before the assassination. Scott did not agree with the Warren Report's conclusions about those contacts. Jefferson Morley is currently the National Editorial Director for the Center for Independent Media in Washington, D.C. We've thought for a long time he'd be an excellent guest, and happily he joins us today to talk about some of the curious things his investigations have uncovered. Jefferson Morley, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Can we pick up this tale about 1994 when the Assassination Records Review Board got some papers released? Uh, you found some references in newly declassified documents that pertain to a visit Oswald had made to Mexico City just months before the assassination, and you, and you set to follow those leads. Yes. Um, I was writing a book about Winston's CIA station chief in Mexico City, um, or preparing to, and was especially interested in his reaction to the events that led to the assassination, because... He was both a trusted insider, uh, a superb intelligence professional, and very loyal to the CIA. So he's somebody whose judgment I, I felt could be trusted to reflect uh, an independent view inside the agency. And indeed, that was true. You noted in your beginning that the, the Warren Commission had concluded that the FBI and the CIA had not monitored Oswald closely upon his return from the Soviet Union. In fact, that wasn't true. Um, there were a handful of CIA officers who were very well informed about Oswald in late 1963. Wynne Scott was one of them. And uh, the most important thing that I found out in writing my book about Wynne Scott was that he not only disagreed with the Warren Commission's uh, conclusions about Oswald's trip to Mexico City, but in fact he said that its statement of X 
was false, was incorrect. Um, and who would know better than he, because he was monitoring the surveillance of Oswald there. As a discreet professional and a loyalist, kept quiet about that um, at the time of the Warren Commission, but it bothered him. And as controversy grew, Scott sat down to write his own version of what he knew, and he said definitively, and I think it's definitively true, that the Warren Commission's account of Oswald in Mexico City is false. So I wrote that in my book, In Our Man in Mexico, which was published last year by the University of Kansas Press, and there's not really too much dispute about that. But that kept me interested in the subject of what did CIA officers know about Oswald before the assassination. And this is really the story that is emerging uh, but has yet to be fully told. You have an excellent series for Playboy, I think it was on Playboy.com, where you start, you picked up the thread where you went to go interview a, an officer who you uh, determined may have some interesting things to say. Her name was Jane Roman, and you went to go visit her. Yes. Jane Roman worked for um, James Angle, the chief of counterintelligence at the CIA. Again, like Wynne Scott, was a loyalist. And um, I went to interview her about what she knew about uh, this the subject of intelligence gathering around Oswald before the assassination. And she did know something about it because her name appeared on some of those documents that were finally declassified in the 1990s. And so I went to her and uh, I found her living in Washington and I asked her to, for her view of these documents, you know, what did they, what did they tell her? What did you learn from them? And she said in the course of an extensive and taped interview, there's no doubt that she said this, that what was striking about um, Oswald uh, at that time was that when information about him came to the CIA headquarters from Winscott in Mexico City, um, who had noticed that an American had visited some of the communist agencies down there, uh, he sent a message to Washington and said, who is this fellow Oswald? And the question went to the very top of the CIA. It went to James Angleton's staff and the counterintelligence staff who had been monitoring him. And they uh, wrote back a reply to Winscott and said, well, this fellow lived in the Soviet Union for a while and came back, and we haven't really heard from him in a while. And I showed that to uh, Jane Roman uh, in the documents, and she acknowledged that, in fact, that statement wasn't true and that the CIA had much more current information about that. This wasn't an accidental mistake. It was, it was a, a case of deliberately withholding. Why was somebody withholding information about the thoroughly unknown Oswald uh, within CIA reporting channels? Jane Roman couldn't explain that. I talked to another man who was on James Angleton's staff. He couldn't explain it, um, although they both agreed that it was quite unusual. And so that's kind of where I left things in terms of, you know, my own reporting on the story uh, through, the, through the, 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 when I finished Our Man in Mexico in late 2007. But the story continues to grow. Um, as part of the effort to uncover information about this, I sued the CIA in 2003, uh, seeking the records of another CIA officer who was at anti-Cuba operations at the time a man named George Joannides. He was not as high-ranking as Wynne Scott, um, but he did hold a trusted position. He was the chief of psychological warfare operations against Castro, and he was based in Miami. 
George Joannidis, seven years later, I say, this lawsuit is still going on. The CIA is fighting very, very hard to block the release of this material. And the reason that they're fighting it, uh, I believe, is because it contains information that is embarrassing to the CIA and its account uh, that it has stuck to since the Warren Commission that we really didn't know about this fellow Oswald. In fact, Joannidis was another one of those officers who uh, seems to have received pre-assassination intelligence on Oswald. So we're still trying to figure out, you know, what that means. I don't have a, a, a conspiracy theory about all of it. Um, I will say, though, that the to me, the assassination remains, the causes of the assassination remain unexplained. And I think that there's still secret information that's being held by the CIA. It is quite likely that it will help us explain what remains a very mysterious event. Well, I want to backtrack a little bit. When you went to go speak to Jane Roman, she, she, she speculated at one point that that was unusual for them to, to withhold data like that. They must have had a good reason to do so. And she speculated about a, a special operation, perhaps, that, that was behind that. And as, as your investigations proceeded, it turns out that George Joannidis was, was actually a major player in, in that operation. Yes, what she said was, this looks like somebody in anti-Castro operations is holding information about Oswald very tightly, which often happens in intelligence operations. You don't want to share even with your colleagues. And Jane Roman said that based on what she was seeing in the, in the documents in front of her, that struck her as the most likely explanation. And the fact that George Joannidis, whose existence I did not know of when I spoke with her, uh, the fact that he was involved in such operations and did have such knowledge, again, tremendously corroborated what she said and led to my conviction that there was indeed a, more of a story here. Jane Roman said this, and it was later corroborated in the data that came out about uh, Joan Edes, but there's even more interesting data. Apparently, some other records were released relating to a CIA professional named John Witten, and that, that also points in this direction, doesn't it? John Witten was another one of these uh, very senior officials, very trusted. He was the head of the, uh, of, of the Mexico desk, uh, so he was immediately, he was based in Washington. He was very, you know, uh, closely connected with Wynn Scott. And he was um, given the job of reviewing all of the uh, intelligence reports about Oswald after the assassination. Uh, John Witten, as I reported for the Washington Monthly, uh, came to feel that he had been fenced out of the operation and prevented from pursuing the leads, had been misinformed by James Angleton of the counterintelligence staff. So... John Witten's experience matched Lynn Scott's and Jane Roman's, all impeccable CIA loyalists, in saying this information was being handled in a very selective and unusual way. And none of them had any explanation of it. Witten uh, was quite angry that his efforts had been thwarted. He said, when he was asked uh, by investigators what he would have done, he said, I would have gone down to Miami and started my investigation there. Well, that's where George Joannidis was located. So, once again, we see all the all the all, all the leads leading into one place, which is, as a reporter, you take that as, you know, strong corroboration that you're on to you're on to something. Once you start looking into Mr. Joannidis, uh, the the fact was obvious that the House Select Committee, when they looked into the assassination, 
Apparently, they wanted someone in the CIA to help them uh, look into this area. They, they brought Joe Nides out of retirement to help them, while never revealing that he himself had been a player in those events. Exactly, and, and, and this is perhaps the most uh, disturbing part of the piece of the puzzle, is that when, when Congress reopens the investigation and starts looking more carefully into areas that the Warren Commission didn't really look at, the Warren Commission didn't really know very much about CIA operations in Mexico, what they did know, what they were told by the CIA, and as Wynne Scott said, they were misinformed. They were not given, the information they were given was not factually accurate. And Wynne Scott said, it's not true. It's simply not true. And so 15 years later, when the House comes back and they start looking more carefully at Oswald in Mexico City and all of these operations, um, the CIA in these investigations always has a liaison, somebody who helps deal with the Congress's request for information. And so the CIA um, asked George Joannides to do this, called him out of retirement and brought him on, never revealing that, in fact, he had had a role in the events of 1963. So that, I think, indicates very strongly that the CIA was determined to keep Joannides' knowledge of the events of 1963 out of the public record. And after seven years of a lawsuit, they have been pretty successful. I mean, I know a lot more than I knew seven years ago, but there is a, a whole lot that I don't know and that they are fighting to, to prevent the release of. We're speaking with Jefferson Morley, former editor and staff writer for The Washington Post. He's the author of a book, Our Man in Mexico, Winston Scott, and the Hidden History of the CIA. Um, where does that stand, Jeff, at the current time in terms of, like, you've been trying to get records, the CIA is very coy, and there's, there's apparently a lot of missing records about reports he should have filed about 1963, and, and nobody seems to be able to find those. Yes, and so this is what we've been fighting over in court. Uh, I've been arguing successfully so far that the CIA has to do more thorough searches of more different record groups. So um, initially, uh, Judge Richard Leon threw out my case saying the CIA had complied with the law, I appealed, and a three-judge appellate court unanimously overruled uh, Judge Leon and said that the CIA had to do more. So got some more information. I got a picture of Joe Edies for the first time as a result uh, of that round of litigation, a picture which appeared in the New York Times story on my lawsuit last spring. Um, if people are interested in finding out more about this, they can look at the Times story by Scott Shane last fall. It's pretty good summary of where things are at. What's happened since then is uh, we've put in uh, more uh, declarations. In the course of seven years, I have done uh, seven different declarations to the court about the historical significance of these documents. The last one I filed this fall, and that um, has a stage for Judge Leon's decision, which we expect sometime this spring or summer, about whether the CIA has actually complied or whether they need to release more records or whether... Uh, so we are waiting for that decision right now. Um, I'm not particularly optimistic. Um, the Freedom of Information Act is actually a pretty weak law when it comes to records like this, high classified records that the agency is determined to protect. It gives the CIA a lot of ability to hide things that it doesn't want to share. So, but... Um, I mean this for the long run, and I think there are other ways that I can that we can get at those records. I think there's something called the JFK Records Act, which was passed by Congress in 1992 um, unanimously. 
a law which takes the commonsensical position all of these records should be made public immediately. Um, and I think I say commonsensical because no matter what you think of this issue, the government, there's no grounds for secrecy on, for, for any of this. I mean, there may be some national security considerations, but basically all of this information should be public. And the fact that the CIA is defying the law, and that's really what's going on here. For seven years, they've been refusing to release this information. Uh, you know, they, they need to be to account on that. And i got to believe the system is going to work. You know, they will obey the law eventually. That's what I'm hoping for right now. There's a very good story, very interesting story here. And, you know, I'm going to get it. Sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope so, and I hope when that decision comes down, you'll come back on the show. But I want to round yeah. out a few things about this, because people say there's nothing new in this case, but you've, you've proven them wrong on that. Uh, a fascinating item that I found in, in, in reading through your reporting is something I think everybody missed uh, before you, which was that the first published allegation of a conspiracy in the JFK assassination came out the day after the murder, it linked Oswald de Castro, and its source was the anti-Castro Cuban student group that Mr. George Gioanides had been funding, which is an oddity that uh, certainly raises eyebrows. It's very striking, and and um, and looking back on it, it is amazing. It is amazing and disturbing that the CIA did not tell the Warren Commission about the financial relationship between one of its officers and the Cubans who made the first allegations about Oswald. And this is not, this is not some, oh, you know, hazy allegation about CIA funding. We ha I have the CIA's own documents. Um, it wasn't like, oh, just a few dollars here and there. It was $51,000 a month, which is worth probably about $130,000 a month today. So, in other words, these Cubans who were making the accusations against were getting what more than a million dollars a year from the CIA at the time of these allegations, and the CIA never told the Warren Commission about that. Now, that is a sign of bad faith, and it may be a sign that top CIA officials perjured themselves to the Warren Commission. And I think one of the things this, that's what I'm looking for in this story. That may be the story that's here is that Richard Helms, the deputy director of the CIA, perjured himself to the Warren Commission. And I think that if we can get all of the Joannides files, I think that we will understand that um, more clearly, um, or at least we'd be able to, you know, uh, confirm or, or refute that hypothesis. So, yeah, there's, um, uh, on top of, you know, first that original holding of information to the Warren Commission and then bringing Joannides back to to hide the same information from Congress 15 years later. Right. Think, think about that, Doug. That, that's like, that's institutional memory for you. That <laughs> is, this thing is, is being locked up tight. Okay, and that was 30 years ago. Now fast forward to 2003, I sue for the record, and seven years later, they're still fighting. I, you know, I have a lot of friends in the, who write about the JFK thing, and people have all different points of view, and you know, that's fine. It's a very complicated subject, and people of good faith can have different points of view. But everybody I talked to who is serious about knowing about this never knew anything about the Joe Anides thing and acknowledge it. It's a genuinely puzzling and troubling story that, that should be brought out. And the CIA is still fighting. That tells you something, Doug. Yeah. That tells you that this information is important. 
And the people say, oh, well, you know, there was no conspiracy. It's, you know, they must be hiding something that's trivial. Okay, you know, maybe. I'd, I'd be glad to be proved wrong. So see it, and I'll go away. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, until that happens, you can't just say, oh, well, there couldn't be anything there. The, the whole story is too, too troubling. It's too, it's too curious. It's too hidden. It's too murky. So we need, to, we need to get this thing out in the open and, you know, just see what, see what it is, see what it was really going on there. Well, I'm with you on that. I want to ask you, too, about your, your work um, on Wynn Scott. You did come up with some interesting, interesting uh, uh, nuggets of information. Uh, among them, the fact that uh, Wynn Scott wasn't quite signing on to the Warren Report's official version of things, did his own investigating, and at some point along the way apparently had an audio tape of Oswald, or someone purporting to be Oswald, contacting the uh, one of the embassies, which he put into his safe, which never surfaced, and there was even a debate about whether that tape existed for, for decades. I don't think there's any doubt that the tape existed, um, because we have multiple references to the fact that people listened to a tape uh, obtained by Winscott and his surveillance efforts, uh, purportedly of Oswald. And I'm leave aside the question of whether that was Oswald on the tape or not. Um, uh, uh, and um, he did keep that in, in his office safe. He, when he died of a heart in 1971, James Angleton, the chief of counterintelligence, who I mentioned before, flew to Mexico City and seized the contents of, those, of that safe. Um, we know that tapes were delivered, tapes taken from there, because we have an inventory of the material that was in his safe. Um, and that, those tapes did make it back to Washington. And as best I could tell, those tapes were destroyed uh, in 1986. That's so remarkable, uh, Jeff. It's so remarkably suspicious. I mean, is there any, is there any explanation for why you would destroy an, an audio tape of Lee Harvey Oswald? There is no good explanation. The best you can say, well, it wouldn't change the official story in any way, shape, or form. Well, if that was true, why would you destroy it? Right. When you get into this subject, you see this repeated pattern of CIA acting in bad faith. And it really makes it difficult for somebody who's trying to really analyze what's going on to figure out what the hell to do because, you know, it's what drives people to concoct conspiracy theories and, you know, and go crazy. In this case, it's driven a lot of people crazy. That's not the fault of, entirely the fault of people who go crazy, but, you know, and now you have a whole generation of new conspiracy theories, like about 9-11, which I will say, quite frankly, I think are preposterous. There was a conspiracy on 9-11, and we know who was behind it. It was Osama bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And the people who are trying to develop some other thing, you know, about it, I think are just totally off base. Um, and then people say, oh, well, you know, those ridiculous conspiracy theories, 9-11, JFK, that's what's harmful. Uh, uh, my, my lawsuit shows that there are legitimate questions that remain. The CIA is violating the law by withholding JFK records in 2010. In 2010, CIA lawyers are spending U.S. taxpayer money to hide JFK assassination records from the American public. That is amazing. The government has to be called on it. It's just, you know, it's not acceptable because it really is corrosive to the idea of a democracy and an, an informed public. Uh, the Kennedy assassination was a great tragedy, um, the most painful day in American history between Pearl Harbor and September 11th. You know, in, 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 out of great disasters in American history in the last century, it was an intelligence 
failure. It was a profound intelligence failure that uh, was much was much more was deeper than we know. Uh, and it, and because of what I have said before, it is now indisputable that there was a small group of CIA officials, in, including John Witten, Winscott, or Jovanese, who knew much more about Oswald than they ever shared with investigators. And that's the story that remains to be told. That's the story that my lawsuit is getting. Well, we wish you all the luck in the world. And just a final note, uh, I know people are going to want to learn more about this. Uh, uh, where can they go to find out more about the Center for Independent Media and, and, and your reporting as well? I am not with the Center for Independent Media now. I'm, I'm, I'm writing on my own. But uh, they can go to ourmaninmexico.com. I think if you want to understand perspective on this event, you really need to start with that book. It's not a book about the Kennedy assassination. It's, it takes a fairly agnostic stance because they didn't want to get embroiled in the controversy. Right. But what it out is true. Uh, and the, the book got good reviews, even in, you know, in among what I would regard as pro-CIA intelligence sources. People recognize that this book has a factual foundation and, and is true to the, to the CIA experience, as, it, as people in the CIA lived it in, in that time. And that's really the way to, 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 uh, to learn about where this case is going. They still look up the New York Times article by Scott Shane uh, last October about my lawsuit. You can also look at on Playboy.com has my a, a much longer take on the assassination. I've written about this for Salon, for Reader's Digest. So that's how you can find out about it. Well, I'm sure many people will do exactly that. Uh, Jefferson Morley, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you. I hope that after I read Our Man in Mexico and, and your court uh, case continues, we'll have you back. I would love to do that, Doug. Thanks for giving me the time. Uh, my pleasure, sir. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for more.